Welcome to Engage 360, Denver Seminary's podcast. Join us as we explore the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of scripture at work in our culture today. Hey friends, welcome again to Engage 360 from Denver Seminary. My name is Don Payne. And once again, we're really glad that you've joined us for a conversation that will give you some examples of what it really looks like practically to live out the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of Scripture, which is what we enthusiastically talk about a lot around here. Now, periodically, we love to expose you to some of our students and their stories. I have to be honest that some of the most fascinating people I have ever met our Denver Seminary students, uh, their their backgrounds, their ministry experiences, what they've learned about following Jesus, and about how God works through, redemptively through the gospel. All of that has been a huge education and encouragement to me here for a lot of years. And this week, we get to interact with one of our students at the Washington, D.C. campus, Seconda Hollinger. Seconda, welcome to Engage 360. Thank you, Dr. Bain. We are so glad you're here. Uh, if you see the seminary website, I believe there was uh, an article on Seconda uh, not too long ago, so you may have seen that. But uh, Seconda, just introduce yourself overall a little bit. Tell us a bit of your story personally, spiritually, vocationally. Okay. My name is Seconda Hollinger, and I'm a Navy vet 25 years. Uh, currently reside in Maryland, and I attend the Denver Seminary D.C. Uh, campus is where I'm currently going to school. I have two children. I have a BS in healthcare management. I received my master's degree in disaster preparedness. And I'm currently on track to graduate from Denver this spring. With your Master of Divinity, right? With Master of Divinity. Yeah. I work at the Immigration um, Customs and Enforcement Headquarters as the Occupant Emergency Program Manager, which is a new position for me. I uh Got this new position in December. Used to work at uh, the Bureau of Engraving and Printing, where they make the money. And I've been in this uh, emergency management field for about 15 years. So you tell us a little bit about your experience in the Navy. Now, I think I saw that you were a corpsman, correct? Yes. Now, yes. how did you get into that? What, I, what made you go into it? Military, I was one that usually wanted to, quote unquote, fix things or make people feel better. Um, I really didn't want to be a corpsman when I first came in. Following behind uh, my high school sweetheart, and he was a gunner's mate. Now, my father told me, I don't know what you're going to use that for when you get out of the military, so I don't think that's the way you need to go. So I went from wanting to be a gunner's mate to a cryptotech, which they didn't have any more um, slots for that. I thought that would be really interesting. And my third choice was, to be a medic, to help others. And so I thoroughly enjoyed um, everything that I learned in the in the Navy in reference to the body and the way that it functions. God has done some miraculous things in just making a body. Isn't, the it, body isn't that true? It what functions a marvelous thing. In a way that you would not believe. And, and I had an opportunity to actually see that and just watch it repair itself um, from the inside out. It was just awesome. Yeah, isn't that interesting how the body is made? Uh, God built into the body 
the the healing properties, the recuperative properties that it needs. And so medicine just basically kind of gets things out of the way, right? So the body can do its thing. It it does. It may be a jump start to to remind the body, hey, this is what you're supposed to do. But it's so intricate. I I sit there and I've just been amazed, especially when I had to do the tour in Iraq on the ship, uh, the different wounds and things that I saw, just how God just showed me how he would heal from the inside mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. And it was very simplistic. Now, wound care was very simplistic, but it, it just showed how intricate the body was. I'm like, wow, who could think of even developing something like this and making something like this? Now, were you a follower of Jesus at the time? Were you a, a Christian? Of course. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. When I came into the military, I was a follower. I've been a follower since um, a young child. You know, my mom used to always have us going to church. And I remember at the age of 13, she told us, you know, if you choose not to, you don't have to. At this time, you can make your own choice. And I, I was really the only one um, grew up with a single, in a single family home at the age of probably about 10, my dad left. And um, she gave us that choice, but I was the only one in the house really going to church. And it was just amazing um, the different things that I learned because I went to different churches. Yeah. So I went to a Lutheran church. Uh, in, in middle school, I was I went to, had my communion in a Presbyterian church, and then in high school, I went to a Pentecostal church. Well, wow, you so, really you got all the way around the block, didn't you? Yes, but it was a blessing, and it all came together when I came and when I went into the military and had to be the lay leader for the Protestant service. Ah, okay. That's, yeah, I wanted to follow up on that because in in your experience as a Navy corpsman, from what I've read of your story, you then kind of stepped into the role of the sh- of a ship's chaplain, right? Even though you weren't trained to be a chaplain? Right, I wasn't. I wasn't even a, um, usually they'll have uh, religious petty officers because I was a corpsman. So that wasn't necessarily what I did. But our chaplain, it's funny how people are, watching you and you never know who's watching you and I, I i can't even find this guy i'm praying that god will will reconnect us because he's the reason i'm in seminary okay he believed he said god told me that i need you to be my lay leader i said well sir i'm not protestant i don't even know what that i don't know what it means to even fulfill this role right here and he goes you just need to get a letter from your pastor and you'll be fine and I was like, okay. So I went to a couple of Protestant services in preparation so I could see what the flow of the service was. And I went through a trial by fire deployment of seven weeks prior to going to Iraq. And it was awful. It was awful. It really was awful. But when I look back in hindsight, God was really preparing me so that I didn't know six months later that I was going to have to go, well, a couple of months later, go to 9-11 and respond to that. And then in turn, that January to be deployed as the lay leader during the war. So God was really kind of putting some things together ahead of time. Always. And you don't even, you, you yeah, just you don't. Don't, when you look back, you go, because well, I was like, Jesus, I don't even know what I'm doing. Yeah. So what, what were what were the steepest learning curves? Why was that so awful? Well, it was, it was, to me, I like to be prepared, as you can see. Uh, my line of work is emergency preparedness. Yeah. And I like to prepare so that if something does happen, you're ready. 
So that's my mindset is to do whatever you can do ahead of time so that if anything happens, at least you're ready and you have a plan on what to do. And so this was totally out of my wheelhouse. Um, yes, I've spoken in front of people before, but I haven't preached. I didn't teach the gospel, you know, so I was the, in a uncharted territory for me. So I'm like, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a, I'm not a minister. I'm a, I'm a nobody. You're a corpsman. What are you doing? And you're right. So, so if you relate it spiritually, right, he, he, he made sure that he groomed me physically in the role that I was as a corpsman to take care of the body. So in turn, as my lady, do you take care of the body of Christ? Yeah. How, how did you see, what were some of the ways you saw God work in that situation? In this situation, it, it really was undescribable because he honestly will always give you everything that you need. And I can see him orchestrating everything. I mean, I've never, I walked throughout the, the ship at times and it was like he would send me places. You need to go to this section and go to that place. And when I would go there, someone would literally be waiting there for me. That's remarkable. Pray for them. And so it was just, it was a really a matter of relationship and connection um, that I've never had before. I mean, I honestly, I know what walking my faith is. And I mean, moment by moment, moment by moment. And I had to be in a posture where I could hear him and just be obedient. Of course, I was scared. But the first thing I asked God before we deployed, I said, Lord, I just need to know. You are have me here to lead your people. And I need to know. Are we going to make it back home? Huh. And God said, yes, you will come back and tell the people of the great things that I have done. And then I was sold because wow. I already knew. And once I knew that, me being especially as a lay leader and then being as a chief, I'm a leader. These people are going to follow me. They're looking to me to say, hey, chief, so what are we doing? Yeah. And how are we doing it? And are we coming back? So tell us, tell us one of those, tell us one or two of those great things God did. One of the great things that God did was, I, I think he, we started out with maybe 20 people in this small little chapel on the ship. And we had prayer service in the morning at six. And we had um, service on Sunday. So then we realized it was more, God sent me the resources I needed. He sent me a wonderful uh, prayer partner. She was just right there by my side. He sent me a couple of uh, brothers that were there. And then the service started to grow as we continued on this deployment and we were going through and we were taking care of patients. It was just a lot going on. And so they needed, people needed God at that time. They really, it was a perfect place to draw people in because they had nowhere else to go. You find it pretty open? Yes. Open to I the got, Lord? I even went up to someone and I knew they were Muslim and witnessed to them. It was like God was like, you need to go here, here, here. You need to tell them who I am, and you need to let them know that they need to change their life. And it was, it was, I know it was him because I would not have done that. I didn't have the knowledge to even say what I was saying. Yeah. You know, I, so I'm sitting there going, whoa. But it wasn't like I was like totally blown away where I couldn't stay in my posture and do what I, whatever he said do. And like one guy... His mother had died. I didn't know his mother died. 
And God sent me right to him when he had gotten the word. I had no idea. My friend and I, and they called us Mary, Mary. And we just came and we would pray with him. There were people that tried to stop the sailors from coming to prayer. And so I had to change the time of prayer because they were cooks. And so they had to be at work at like 4.30. And so I said, okay, I'm going to get up at 4.30 and we're going to pray. You want to pray? No one's going to stop us. And so, of course, with me getting up at 4.30 and going in and being for them so that they can get there, you know, get prayed up and be ready to do what they need to do. I get free breakfast, not free breakfast. <laughs> they would make me a nice breakfast. They would always look out for me. Chief, what do you want? You know, they would always do that. I've even had times where some people couldn't get to me. We had to go on a flight deck and have prayer. So you were on an aircraft carrier? No, I was on a, a medical ship. Oh, okay. Believe it or not. And it, it's it's one of the largest floating um, hospitals in the nation. Okay, so when you said flight deck, that must have been for helicopters coming in? Right. Okay. Right. Okay. So we had crew up there and it was hard for them to get away so we came to them okay and came to them the services began to grow and i had to have two services instead of one i had to go to the command officer and go uh sir um, we're outgrowing our space either we're gonna have to move up to the mess decks and have service or i'm gonna have to be able to have more than one service how did you fit all that in with your corpsman responsibilities did yeah you i have, don't like know. two jobs I, well, I had about three jobs, okay. but, but you know, with God, he will, he will give you exactly what you need yeah, when you need yeah. it. I had great corpsmen that were working for me. I had great people that were working with me. Uh, we were really a crew and a family and we looked out for each other. I, I don't know how many hours really got 24 hours in a day, but he made it happen. Wow. He did it. He made it happen. And Again, I couldn't tell you how. I was thinking about your question. You were like, well, how, how did you do this? How did you, what is the highlight? It was so many different highlights where I knew he was working. Even when I had um, some leadership come against me and I'm like, God, I'm just doing what you told me to do. And he said, I know. Don't worry. And they had to back down. It it was it was amazing. We saved a guy that was uh, his ship had, his ship his boat or had overturned on just on the way out to Iraq. We saved a guy and two other people that were on the, um, a boat with him, and it was three of them. Only one of them survived, and we brought him on board. And he said the only thing he could remember seeing was a big cross, a white ship with a big cross. So imagine seeing that in this vast ocean and your other two partners are gone and you're the only survivor. That right there was just a testimony. And I know that man's life will be forever changed. Yeah. I was able to assist in baptisms on the Canary Islands in Diego Garcia where God was just showing up. This young lady was dressed in all white and she was like, senior, you know, I want to get baptized. And I'm going, well, I can't really baptize you, but we talked to the chaplain. And so I was able to assist the chaplain that was there at the base. And she had some non-believers that worked with her and they came and watched it. And, and I promise you, when she came up out of the water, there was this glow about her. And she was able to go back and evangelized to the people in her office. They said they had never seen anything like that. 
That's remarkable. You really got to be on the front lines in more way than one. Yeah. Semi service on the flight deck with dolphins on the side coming up out of the water. One of the Catholic priests, he was looking at me like, what is it about you? I said, it's not me. This is God. He couldn't understand <laughs> God sent me a choir. He sent me liturgical dancers. We did an Easter play. He sent me all these resources that was, it was, I'm like, I have a whole church right here. You know, it's going to be great in, in, in heaven to see where all of those people went and what the long-term um, kind of ripple effect of all of that was. People who, you know, you'll never meet again in this life, but to see what the Lord did in their lives long-term and how, the, you know, the exponential effect of that. I can't wait to, to see that and hear that in heaven. Right. And some that you see, you know, some of them will see me on Facebook and they'll say, you know what, I remember when I just did a, I was blessed to be the guest speaker for our Veterans Day program at First Baptist Church uh, of Glen Arc. Oh, good. And uh, my nephew, unbeknownst to me, I don't put things on Facebook. He put it on Facebook. And so some of my um, sailors were like, yeah, that's my scene chief. She's always done that. She's always blessed us. She always prayed over us. And it was just an honor that they even remembered that I was able to plant some seeds in some people. Oh, yeah. You know, was able to help some people come back and go, look, I need to rededicate my life. You know, just being an instrument for for Christ was just awesome. And I learned that, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know. I could only teach from what I knew. That's why seminary was so important to me, because I could see that my depth wasn't as deep as it needed to be. You're you're like actually a lot of seminary students these days who have a good bit of ministry experience before they come to seminary. And I'm just curious, uh, you know, what, what it was that highlighted the importance of seminary, but you, you kind of answered that question. You became ministry made you aware of what you needed to know. Right. Right. I could, I can only, I could, I shouldn't say I could only teach God this. I look back at some of the sermons that I kept notes from, and I was, you know, I was reading over them. And I'm going, how did I know that? I don't even remember now. So how do I know that? And it was just such a place that I longed to be back in that posture. Because if he said move two steps to the left, I moved two steps to the left at the time that he told me. And by me doing that, it blessed someone. Wow. And it was just, I, it's, I can't explain it, but it was such a closeness. It was like he was just moving me, just like a piece on a chessboard. Hmm. And I was like, wow. And like I said, I did have people that, that was trying you know, to come against me or say things. I mean, I even got promoted while I was out there. You know, and I, I had people saying, oh, she's a double net. She's a double quota because she's a female and then she's black, you know, and I didn't have to say anything to people that would say stuff like that. Other people would fight for me and go, really? Do you know the things that she's done to get there? And I'm, and I know it was, I know it was the enemy to try and take me out of the right posture because there was work to be done. Wow. Good for you hanging in there. There was work to be done. Yeah. So it was, Again, I can't put words to it, and of course I couldn't sum it up in, in this short time, but it was just 
is indescribable. Just the love that he showed me. Nothing was perfect. But when I stepped out there to give them that word, they got it. And then to be able to do that in a diverse group of religions, I tried to make sure everyone felt comfortable. So if you wanted to sing a certain song, then we're going to sing that song. I had someone that had her guitar. She wanted to play her guitar. I had someone else that had like a flute or something. I, I wanted to make sure it was all inclusive because the one thing that we had in common was Jesus, was the Trinity. So regardless of whether or not you were Lutheran, you were Protestant, you were Presbyterian, you were Baptist, it didn't matter. It was like my service was the catch-all. You just got to you got to tell them tell them the gospel and focus focus them exactly. on Jesus. Exactly. And, you know, and that's what you're telling us, Sekande, is, is such a vivid example of a Holy Spirit empowered ministry, where you're really working above your head, working out of your resources, working beyond your resources, and the Spirit of God shows up and does more than you could naturally explain. Exactly. Okay, so you're you're um, you talked about emergency preparedness. You're you're serving now as a an emergency manager, emergency preparedness manager mm-hmm. uh, for a federal agency, and during a pandemic, right? To, to boot, what 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 have you learned? What have been some of your really significant learnings or even surprises uh, from your ministry in in these emergency crisis situations? Well, that he's still in control. That's the key thing. That's the key thing. Um, and you know, but you don't always real realize things until sometimes when you leave, because I, you got to remember in the pandemic, God blessed me to get a new job with a promotion huh. in the midst of 2020. Yeah, that's unusual. And so the, the agency that I left, uh, we had been working on a continuity of operations plan. So if something like we weren't thinking of a pandemic. Right. I'm always thinking of these things. But of course, you know, the rest of the leadership may not be thinking about that. And they're thinking about, oh, we have an explosion and we can't use the building. What do we do? And so I had some pushback where people were like, oh, we're never going to have we've been in this building for 250 years. That'll never happen. This building is so. And I'm like, OK. This is the deal. I understand what you're saying. I, I probably can't paint a scenario that would even make you think that the building would collapse and you would have to work elsewhere. But we're going to plan for that just in case. I say, just like we had an earthquake here a couple of years ago, uh, we thought they only happened in California, but it happened in DC. Mm-hmm. And were we ready for that? You were not. So God blessed me to be able to at least convey to this team of about 73 people um, with upper leadership and people below them and my peers to say, hey, I just want you to be ready just in case. So they had been working on these plans and I was shifting their mindset to say, hey, you may not be able to do things like you normally would do. And in case you can't, you want to have a plan at least on what to do. Not to be afraid, but a plan on what you would do if you couldn't work in this building for whatever reason. I never thought that the pandemic would be it. But these people began to take ownership and they were like, okay, okay. And they were working through it. And it had been the same plan or same process was trying to be put in place before I got there. But they did it all in one phase and it was just too much. And so I broke it up into three phases and we were literally in the third phase. So people were working on their plan. When the shutdown hit? 
when the shutdown hit, so they they were pretty much they had everything they needed. All the data was gathered. They had done we had done our business um, impact analysis, so they knew what they needed to do if they couldn't work in the building. And these people were so grateful. They said, Sakanda, we are so grateful that you made us shift our thinking and we started thinking about what we would do if we weren't in the building. We had to work remotely and how we would do that. But we didn't think it would happen that fast. And that right there just did my heart so good because they weren't afraid. They already knew these are some of the things I have to take into consideration if I'm not working in the building. And this is how I would do it. And you know what? We can only be down X amount of time. And in that time frame, what I need to do. And so everybody was working together. Everybody knew what they had to do. And it worked. So the Lord just seems to always be going right out ahead of you and, and, yes. and putting pavement down, even if you don't know where it's headed. That's what exactly. I'm hearing. And you got to trust him. Yeah. And so I just learned to go, okay, I, okay. I know this is, it sounds strange, Lord, but okay, so then it must be you. Because <laughs> it's, not, what, it's uh, not something I'm going to think of. Yeah, it's, yeah, sure, it wouldn't be. I, I'm, great, I'm so yeah. grateful. 2020 was a miraculous year for me. As you have gotten involved in seminary over these last few years, what, uh, what from your seminary education has been most meaningful, most helpful to you, perhaps, in your ministries? I don't even know where to start. I mean, I could I could start from Hebrew class with Dr. Delaire, the counseling classes, the mentoring sessions, um, going through the books. Just going through the book of Joshua with, with Dr. Delaire was phenomenal, especially at the end of um, your degree plan. Because I think that in itself shows you, that book shows you so much and it makes you think, wow, God was really doing some work there. You know, it's not just about killing. You know, there was leadership there. There was mentoring there. It showed us about being obedient. Um, the mentoring classes with, with Dr. Steiner actually made me sit down and think of some things that I could be doing to better myself from the beginning to now. Uh, and I was able to grow through those things. So for me, I may not remember everything that was taught to me, but I do have my books. I do have my resources um, that I can go to and I can teach others. That's the key thing for me. I can't teach you what I don't know. So that really was the driving force for me when I came back from that deployment. I can't teach them what I don't know. I'm limited in what I can teach them because I don't know enough. So I know that seminary for me was to learn more so I can teach. Everybody's like, oh, you're going to seminary. You're going to be a pastor. No, that is not my desire. <laughs> my desire is to be able to be knowledgeable to teach others. Because in this day and age, I, I can't just give you a story and think it's going to be okay. They're going to challenge me on that story, how it's made. Well, what about this? And what about that? And so I need to be able to answer those. What about this? And what about that? And no, I can't answer every question, but I need to be knowledgeable enough to defend it. And that was really, to me, everything was connected when we had to do our orals. And I had to do mine twice. And I thank God for that because I was trying to give textbook answers and the professor knew, no, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for what you 
know and how you feel and what do you say? And when I came back the second time uh, and actually did it, they were like, that's what we're talking about. Okay. And, and I thanked them for that. Uh, I really did. I, doctor, I had Dr. Heim and I can't think of the other professor. But I thanked them for that because they they would have been wrong to go, we're just going to push you forward. That was That's one thing I really like about Denver is I'm not an A student. However, they know the passion and they make sure that you know what's been taught. Whether I'm an A student or a C student. And they looked at me no different. And if I needed extra time, I got extra time. If I needed extra help, I got extra help. And if I didn't understand, they really would take that time aside and show me, no, this is, this is, look at this. This is what we're looking at. You know, why are you looking at it this way? Or they would see my perspective and where I'm coming from, especially as an African-American woman, where our thoughts may be different. So I like it the way we have so many different cultures. You know, I was able to talk to a Korean sister when I came to visit last year Mm -hmm. and she didn't understand why when Dr. West was preaching, we would stand up and encourage him. She said, I could see that you guys were very happy, but I didn't understand it. Oh. And so I explained it to her. It was really cool. And so I like to, in turn, ask her, well, what do you guys think about this? I was working on a project, and it was in reference to the youth, and I was able to ask a Caucasian brother. I was able to ask a Korean brother. I was able to ask a- another sister what are your perspectives and how did, how do you do your youth ministry? And when I can take those in and put it all together, it becomes so much richer. Yeah. That's what, that's the word I was going to use. It's been a rich, sounds like it's been a rich learning experience from a lot of different angles for you. Yes. Yes. So just like, I'm glad, glad for you. I could teach them something as well. And so we, we learn from one another. Yeah. 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 Saganda, what's next for you? Do you know? I don't. I'm teaching. I'm a part of Reverend Barr's ministry. I'm trying to get involved with the youth. And um, my goal will be one day to, I don't know if I'll be a chaplain for maybe a a youth detention center or something, but I want to really help those uh, young women that are at risk. Okay. I really do because I, my mother made sure um, that she surrounded my sister and I with great role models Good. of different facets and everybody doesn't have that. So I'm one that's, uh, I'm an encourager and I was encouraged. And so I want to give that back to a young lady that may not have it. She may not have it in her home. She may not have it in her school. She may not even have a church. So linking up with the uh, unashamed ministry at, First Baptist Church of Glen Arden. I've started with them, and hopefully I'll become more involved um, next year by maybe being a connect group leader and go from there and teach the word wherever he would be and however he would send me. If um, if your history thus far is any indicator, I cannot wait to see what the Lord does with you in the next few years. It just who you know we're going to buckle up and just keep our eyes open. I, I, I'm a- I'm excited. Yeah. And we, just young students, you never know. This is this is a program where it's not like going through a, a computer degree or whatever. Things that we learn here, we will you you will definitely apply it. I just had to, to do to officiate a funeral 
Well, I wouldn't have known how to do that had I not gone through the course that teaches us about different services. Okay, okay. Did that summer. So I'm like, wow, you know, okay. Like you said, he always goes before me. Yeah. That's that's probably one of the big takeaways that uh, that I have from this whole conversation is how the Lord goes before us, goes ahead of us, paves the way, and directs us even if we can't see where exactly that road is headed. And I think that's one of the one of the great things about a seminary process, and I've seen this happen for countless people over the years, is that the Lord uses the the context of those relationships and classes and readings, everything you're taking in to open up new new vistas, new opportunities, kind of bump us in different directions that we never could have anticipated or scripted. Um, and in many cases, we wouldn't have done it. But it's always good because the Lord has gone ahead of us. And Secunda, I got to tell you, we are we're just thrilled to have you soon, very soon, as one of our grads. We're so grateful that you've been um, a part of the student body here, and grateful for what I I'm sure a lot of other students have learned from you. We've we've just had a delightful time learning from your experiences today. Thank you. Thank you. This this has been loads of fun and can't wait to um can't wait to put a diploma in your hands yeah so yeah so you're almost there and almost almost there finish strong and we will hope to see you in may yes sir and celebrate this with it seconda hollinger one of our master of divinity students at the washington dc campus thanks again seconda Thank you. My honor, Dr. Payne. Yeah. Friends, you've been listening to Engage 360 here at Denver Seminary. want to thank you. And if you'd like to communicate with us, you can do that at podcast at denverseminary.edu. And I would encourage you to check out our website periodically. We have a new website coming and all kinds of resources, some of them free, that you can use for your own uh, blessing, your own encouragement, your own education, even if uh, you're not a... Uh, an enrolled degree-seeking student here. Check out the website. you find a lot of events that we have going on both here in Denver and in D.C. We'd love to benefit you with those. And I don't say this very often, but if you are finding anything beneficial here, uh, whatever platform you, uh, you use to listen to Engage 360, we'd love for you to get on and leave us a rating or a review. That would really help get the word out and uh, give us a little more profile. So please do that if you get a chance. Anyway, we hope to talk to you again soon. My name is Don Payne, and thank you again for spending some time with us. Take care.